0: Hello, I'm Kieran Lynch and welcome to Overcast, the Chagas Sheep Podcast. Each episode, we bring you in insights, advice and technical updates for the sheep industry. Now, in this week's episode, we're going to hear about how to tackling sheep scab in Northern Ireland. We're joined in this episode by veterinarian and sheep farmer Paul Crawford, who's chairman of the Northern Ireland Sheep Scab Group. We discuss various routes of transmission and the factors that are involved in the spread of mites. Paul takes us through the treatment options and the challenge of developing resistance to some of these, highlighting the importance of best practice. We discussed some of the findings from his PhD studies on the number of outbreaks, disease awareness, and treatment practice in Northern Ireland flocks. Finally, we finish up the discussion when Paul explained a new project that was launched last year to tackle the issue on farms. We start off however with Paul explaining what the cause of sheep scab are, the clinical symptoms, and how to diagnose it in the flock.
1: Sheep scab is a highly infectious disease of sheep, and it's caused by a small mite, the Saropis ovus mite, or the sheep scab mite, and that little mite lives on the surface of the sheep's skin, doesn't even bite into the skin. It just scrapes the surface of the skin and eats what comes off the surface. And uh, after it's eaten, it goes to the toilet and it's the poo of the sheep scab mite that the sheep is allergic to. So the signs that we see where they're itching and scratching, that's not really them trying to get the mites off because the mites are biting them. It's they're feeling very itchy because they're allergic to the sheep scab mite poo. And that's what causes the, the clinical signs. In terms of identification of it, like from the early stages, Paul, to when
0: it's more obvious to everyone, how would you go by identifying it?
1: Identifying sheep scab in the early stages can be difficult. Uh, You can't really see the mites with your naked eye unless you're really experienced, and there's quite a few of them there, and you've got good light. So... Early stages, you're not, as a, as a farmer, even as a vet, you're not going to spot it just with the naked eye, just parting the wool and looking at the surface of them. Lice, you might sometimes see with your naked eye. They're a bit bigger. So if you see lice, that's maybe a clue as to what's going on. Uh, but doesn't mean that the sheep doesn't have both uh, problems. So the early signs are restlessness, uh, usually scratching and nibbling in around their shoulder area trying to reach up there with their back leg and scratching around their front, the shoulder, turning their head around and trying to nibble between their shoulder blades. And the reason that's the area that they're focusing on is because that's the one area that sheep can't really reach with their feet or with their mouth. And that's where the sheep scab might parks itself first and feel safe because it's not going to get pushed off by a foot or nibbled off by a mouth. And that's where they set up and start breeding, and that's where they start the infestation. So, it nearly always starts around the front end of the sheep, up around the shoulders, over the top of the uh, the top of the shoulders, and you see dirty marks first, and that's just the dirt off their hooves as they're scra- constantly trying to scratch. And then you start to see bits of wool coming out along the middle of their back, and then it slowly spreads down their side as the infestation gets more and more. Uh, advanced and sheep will spend more and more time scratching, rubbing, rubbing on fences, rubbing on gate posts. And when you get up close to them, you'll see that there's thick scabby lesions on the skin. And uh, those are some of the classic signs of of sheep scab. But the signs can vary. And even in a well-established infestation in a flock, you will have some sheep that will have no signs and you'll have some sheep that will be practically bald if you leave it long enough.
0: Paul, maybe in the early stages, to differentiate between lice infestation, if you're not physically able to see it, and scab, can you take it a step further?
1: Yes. Uh, there are diagnostic tests available, and you can take either get the vet out to look at the sheep or take uh, a, a selected sample of, of sheep to the vet. And uh, the first thing that often will do is take a little scraping of skin, uh, and they take that usually from the edge of the lesions, because the, the mites don't like living out in the open. So once the wool's gone, you'll not find sheep scab mites in that bald patch but you'll find them in the in the wool at the edge of those bald patches so they'll go around the edges of the lesions don't be surprised if they part the wool and go looking somewhere that doesn't have obvious bald bits that's because that's the vets know the best chance of finding them is actually in the wool and at the edges of the wool not in the big scabby bald bits so they might take a scrape of skin there look at that under the microscope and if they see a mite you've got the answer but you don't always see mites. Even in cases that look really classic, you don't always see mites. So the next step then we can do to confirm that it's sheep scab is to take a blood sample and we can send that off and there's a couple of laboratories uh, in mainland GB that will analyse the blood and tell you whether there's the sheep have been exposed to sheep scab or not.
0: So again, a confirmed diagnosis, when it gets to the stage where it's developed on sheep, it's going to have a big impact on them.
1: Yes, it has a big impact on welfare and uh, also has a a production impact. Uh, Sheep will get to the point that they spend so much time itching, nibbling and scratching that they actually just give up eating. They're so bothered by the itch that they just don't eat. They lose body condition, particularly at this time of year when there's not a lot of nutrients in the grass and they're maybe having to do a lot of walking to go and find uh, enough grass to keep going. So it'll really knock the condition off store lambs or pregnant ewes at this time of year when you get an infestation. Uh, body condition drops, and then for particularly thinking of the 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 pregnant ewe, the. That'll have an impact on lamb growth. It'll have an impact on colostrum production, and if you have no colostrum or limited colostrum, then that's going to impact on animal or lamb health, lamb viability those, through those first few days and weeks. Uh, so it can really snowball uh, the production effects from even into the next generation.
0: So Paul, like the mite itself, obviously can survive on the host. Just in terms of transmission. You might just explain like the common route of transmission sheep to sheep, but can it survive off the host for long? And is that a risk as well? So, traveling through marts, you know, livestock trailers, where do, where do we go? What is the risk factor there?
1: Sheep to sheep transmission is definitely your number one route. And uh, the number of mites on an infested sheep can rapidly get into the thousands and tens of thousands and it literally takes one of those mites to move on to another sheep to start off an infestation on the next sheep. So sheep to sheep, and particularly at this time of year where we start trough feeding yields prior to lambing, house sheep prior to lambing, house lambs for finishing, if you've got those sheep touching each other all day long, it just goes through like wildfire. The mites also do survive off the sheep, and this is what makes it such a good parasite, if you you understand what I mean. It makes it uh, why it's so good at, at, at spreading from flock to flock uh, as well as within a flock. The mites can survive off the sheep for 17 days. Normally, I talk to people when I'm talking to people or getting people to, to look at their risks, I talk about three weeks because three weeks is much easier to think about and remember in your own mind. So, if a sheep that you know has scab has been in a field or in a pen or a trailer, Unless you're fit to clean that properly, you shouldn't let any other sheep in that area for three weeks to make sure they don't pick them up. And that can be the other side of a fence. If it's just a single barbed wire fence and there's wool hanging on that wire, you have to count the field on both sides of that fence as being potentially uh, contaminated with mite. So if you're moving them from one field to another, it has to be from one field to one that doesn't even bound that field where the sheep with the scab mites were. A double fence with a hedge is accept- it may be acceptable, but single wire fences doesn't make it a separate field as far as the scab mites are concerned.
0: So, Paul, that has big implications for anyone from a biosecurity point of view. We say if you have a closed flock, there's that risk period before you can actually see it in your flock, and especially for somebody buying in a mix of store lambs or buying breeding sheep from, we say, public auction, that it is, it is a risk that's going to be there for a while.
1: It's a risk that's going to be there for a while, and it's not just that it takes three weeks that you'll see signs in your flock. The signs, if the sheep get infested with mites coming through a market or coming through a dealer's trailer or through a scanning system that hasn't been cleaned properly, it can take three months before you actually see the signs in your flock. It can take months and months for the numbers of mites to increase sufficiently to cause the sheep enough irritation for you to see signs, particularly when it is that indirect transfer. When it's transferred from one sheep to another and they've been close to each other and hundreds of mites can jump from one sheep to another, the signs can appear very quickly. But when it's only a small number of mites picked up in transit or picked up off the environment, it can literally take three or four months before you see obvious signs on, on your own flock. So from a quarantine point of view, just looking for signs for two or three weeks isn't sufficient. You have to do more than that.
0: It's an interesting point that and often if you were to point where it's five or six months later, you'll have forgotten. Where did actually the source come from?
1: It can be difficult further down the line. And some of the conversations I've had with farmers over the last couple of months, it's taken us a while to work out where there was any risk factors. And yeah, we've been going back to the summertime. And yes, there were four stray sheep walking up the road and I stuck them in one of my fields just to get them off the road. Ah. Uh, ju- <laughs>
0: uh, the penny
1: drops. Yeah. Um,
0: look, just uh, that last, and you used in certain situations, commonages for instance, it's going to be difficult to control unless there's a whole plan for that commonage to actually control it. We might, we'll might we come on aspects of control in a moment, but there is circumstances there where it takes more than just a single flock approach.
1: It nearly always takes more than a single flock approach unless you have a good double fence boundary the whole way around your property and you know how it came in. You made a mistake when you were purchasing or you had an accident or somebody sheep strayed. But there's very few flocks in Ireland, certainly very few flocks in Northern Ireland when you take in winter grazing, when you take in conacre acre ground that have everything adequately fenced to stop sheep scab getting in. And if you treat your flock and you know it came in from a neighbor, unless you can stay away from that neighbor until they treat their flock, you're just, it's just a time bomb. It's just waiting until the protection that from your treatment is worn off. And then it's just going to come straight back over that hedge again.
0: Something we're going to touch on again in a moment, but you led into something that's a
1: treatment option. So how do we go about controlling this? What are our treatment options? We've got currently there are two groups of products licensed for treatment of sheep scab. There is a dip, which is an OP, organophosphate based dip. And there are a collection of injectable products that are all similar. Uh, They're all related to each other. They're all ivermectin type drugs ivermectin doramectin and moxidectin so people might know them better as uh and dectamax and cydectin there are a lot of other trade names particularly the ivermectin. there's a lot of trade names about Uh, but the three drugs are quite closely related and from the point of view of controlling sheep scab, we have to consider them just as one drug if one works great if it doesn't work swapping to a different injectable is not going to make any difference there is resistance well documented across great britain we have seen cases in northern ireland where we haven't been able to confirm it in the laboratory but we're completely convinced that there are resistant mites and i cannot believe that there are no resistant mites in the south it just doesn't stand up statistically so uh,
0: it's similar to what we talk about we're talking about warmers that when you treat them with injectable ivermectin that the mites are actually surviving that treatment correct okay with the dips, is that a
1: potential risk or the products, the DOPs that are used for dipping? We only have one currently licensed and uh, and available. And currently there's no evidence of resistance to that product. There is in other parts of the world resistance in other insects and other creatures that it's been used to control in the past. So we know biologically other creatures can develop resistance to it. So It's probably a matter of time. It's probably a biological inevitability that resistance will develop to the dip product, particularly if we misuse it, if we don't use it carefully and appropriately, if we don't make up the bath to the correct strength, if we don't top the bath up correctly so that we make sure that every mite is exposed to a large enough dose that's going to kill it, and also that we avoid using it in shower systems Bishar systems are an ideal way of exposing mites to a less than therapeutic dose—a le- a dose that's not high enough to kill them, but it's enough to get them that information that they need to start developing the resistance and start selecting for mites that are resistant to it. So we really have to be careful that we use the dose, the dip, properly to protect it, because if it goes, we're left with nothing as things currently stand. So
0: it's, it's a very similar picture, like improper usage under dosage or under exposure of the correct amount of product, maybe over usage in the case of the ivermectin injectables can all contribute. And I suppose just to clarify, we're talking dip here, we're talking plunge dipping and plunge dipping done correctly
1: yes plunge dipping plunge dipping correctly you need to know what size your bath is you need to put the right amount of stuff in you need to count the sheep as they go through you need to make sure the sheep spend their full minute in the bath make sure their heads go underneath uh we recommend twice uh, underneath to make sure that the ears get well flooded because that's a favorite place for mites to hide and make sure that as you count your sheep through that depending on the size of your bath every x number of sheep top the bath up and the dip comes with a wee card that reminds you of how many sheep you should allow through the bath and then how much stuff you need to add to top the bath up.
0: Paul, it's probably one thing we moved away a little bit from in the last, well indeed the last 20 years probably, was plunge dip and I suppose the fact that ivermectins were so easy to administer was one of the great successes of them but also one of the pitfalls of them. Going back to the plunge dip, like there is mobile operators with it as well. We see a few new units being put in on farms for effective control going forward. it probably is something we need to consider a lot more at farm level.
1: Yeah, I think we need to be careful about not overusing them because again, they they are potent chemicals. And the other risk to losing them is that either the environmental damage that we do through letting the dip get into the environment because we're not careful doing it or the damage we do to our human health, because again, they're not nice chemicals and they do affect human health. So if we affect too many humans or if we te- affect the environment too much, there are other regulators out there who probably would be quite keen to see that these chemicals weren't in our hands. So we really have to be very careful. Uh, and uh, the contract dipper provides a great option because uh, they're doing the job day in day out, it's their business it's up it's it's a it's real investment in them in getting the skills to do it, to do the job well and do the job right maintain a reputation for doing the job well and uh, they can bring the, the the dip with them and uh, provide a professional service. They also bring an extra labor just in 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 the person itself that it brings the dipping yep, unit and definitely. labor labor on farm is often is often a hold up to getting any work done. Uh so that's another advantage. Yes, you pay. You're going to have to pay a fee, but probably the contract dipper for most people's route to go rather than rushing out and digging a hole and putting a bath in at this stage.
0: It's a good service. And as you indicated there, it's an extra pair of hands as well. Look, you touched on a number of aspects of this. In terms of awareness of control, I know you've done a bit of work on this back a number of years ago. How aware are farmers of the problem of the control options? And is there there pitfalls there? Is there gaps in that knowledge?
1: Yes. Uh, So 2021 in Northern Ireland, we had a survey as part of my PhD. And uh, we found quite a lot of gaps in knowledge. Uh, People didn't appreciate how long the mites could survive off the sheep. So they didn't understand how much of a risk that was for it coming into their flock. People thought the sheep would get itchy very quickly. So, again, if they were just using their eyes to determine whether it was safe to let bought-in sheep mix with the home flock, uh, there was risks there. When it came to the treatments, we didn't quite ask enough questions to work out whether the farmers were being given the wrong information or the farmers were making it up themselves. But there was a lot of treatments being suggested or being outlined that people had followed or attempted to follow uh, that just clearly were not, uh, they weren't licensed to be used in sheep. They weren't licensed for sheep scab control. And uh, people talked about how they had had failures. They tried showering them and it, they, it damped them down. They stopped ditching for a couple of weeks, but within within the month they were as bad as ever. And then they had to go and get the plunge dipper. Uh, those sorts of scenarios, uh, just using, injecti- using injectables but not using the right product at the right time. So some of them need to be used twice, not just once. Some people missed out on that. So again, it damps the itch down for a while, and then it comes back with a vengeance. Uh, So there certainly was a lot of evidence of of misunderstandings. And then last summer, we ran a series of meetings uh, for prescribers, so both vets and the farm merchants, as well as for farmers themselves. And the discussions in those meetings highlighted it wasn't only the farmers that were confused. There was certainly confusion amongst some of the prescribers as to exactly how some of these medicines needed to be used.
0: It's important that the correct protocol is followed. As you indicated there, even with ivermectin, some of them are two shots versus some of them being one. It's a simple slip-up, but it's one you could actually see happening on farm level.
1: It's one we do see happening on farm level, and we've got the evidence for it. It's Yeah, there's there's one shot, there's two shots, there's into the muscle, there's under the skin, there's the dose rate. So the dose rate for something like Dectamax for worms is one mil per 50 kilos, but if you're using it for scab control, it's one mil per 33. And sometimes farmers might be a little bit, shy about talking about scab and if they just they know that dectomax will do do scab because they know that from some knowledge that they have but maybe don't know about the dose rates but if they just go into the into the merchant or into the vet and say of some dectomax to worm the sheep and don't actually mention that they think they have a scab problem nobody might highlight and underline that there's a special dose rate you have to use for scab and if they just carry on using the dose rate they've always used for worms and it's going to fail and nobody's going to be any better off for it so there's a lot of ways that it, it can happen
0: it's probably one of the other hang ups with actually getting the grips with sheep is there is a bit of a there's hang up and talking about it. There's a bit of a negative connotation with it if you have it as opposed to just get on and deal with it.
1: Yes. And in the people that we've talked to both through the survey and also more recently through the, the, the current meetings that we've had, there's a certain, yeah, some people do have a, do feel some shame uh, that they've got scab into their flock. And as we've talked about, you can have a pretty good setup. You can have a closed flock and you can have a, a neighbor, you can have a poor boundary, or you can just have that well-meaning member of the public turning some stray sheep into your field uh, and, and you can get a problem. It's not necessarily a sign of, a, of being a bad farmer, not doing something about it might be a different matter, uh, but certainly getting it in the first place does not mean that you're, you're a bad farmer or that you have poor standards or poor biosecurity. Uh, it, it can get in so easily and uh, can spread so rapidly that uh, it's... Uh, you, you, it's just hard to it's hard to avoid in some areas uh, there's so much of it about and because it does survive off the sheep for that sort of nearly three weeks movements of scanners movements of clippers movements of even farmers laborers people who help on one farm and help on another farm sharing of trailers and it can stay hidden for so many months before you know there's a problem that uh you can you can be helping a neighbour and you can bring a problem to their farm when you're helping them out with something else and not even realise that you have it on your own farm and, until it's far too late.
0: No, I think it's, it's a point well made. It, it is very transmissible. As you said, it's a very successful parasite. Look, in terms of doing something, you kicked off a very interesting project last
1: year. You might tell us a little bit more about it and what the aims of that project are. Yeah, so... In the North, we it's a notifiable disease in the North. Uh, that said, when we went to the Department of Agriculture and asked them how much sheep scabs are in the country, they didn't know. Uh, they could tell us that on average over the previous five years, they had identified one one to two cases a year over the previous five years. And that just didn't sit with any of us in the group that had been looking at scab because some of us knew that many people on our own road. Uh Never mind the whole of Northern Ireland. So we knew that there was issues with with information being shared. The, the scab survey that I did as part of the PhD, it highlighted of the 122 people that responded to that survey, survey 44 of them had had scab in the previous, at least once in the previous five years, some of them two or three or four times. Uh, so again, that didn't fit with this one or two cases a year that the department were talking about. Uh so we managed to get some money together. And we thought the only way we we're going to find out where SCAB is, is if we offer the farmer something in return. The political situation in Northern Ireland means we can't do anything about it being a notifiable disease, because to change that, we need a legislator. And currently they're uh, on sabbatical, shall we say. Uh, so... We had to offer the farmers something because they were going to have to stick their hands up and say, I think I've got scab. They were going to be dealt with under a notifiable disease. They were going to have restrictions put on them. They were going to have letters from the ministry, uh, all the things that farmers just don't like and fear. And actually the fear of those ministry, the fear of the restrictions has proven to be quite a barrier to us even engaging people in the scheme and the scheme's offering to pay for their vets bills so we'll pay for the vet to go out and do any tests that they need to to diagnose it so pay for the vet's time pay for the diagnosis pay for the testing we're also paying for the dip or the injectable we did have to put a cap on it uh, for very large flocks, but it's still a significant contribution. Uh, Four or 500 pounds of 500 plus euro we were putting on the table to farmers if they said they thought they had a problem and, and were willing to engage with us. And despite the amount of scab that I know is out there from the phone calls, uh, we still had a little bit of trouble getting people to engage. Uh, as one farmer said to us, uh, they're 400 pounds too scared of the department to phone you and engage in, in your scheme. Now, more recently, as it approaches lambing time and people are in a real panic on farm because they've tried things themselves, suddenly we've had a lot more interest in getting support and getting help, particularly for some of the people who have already paid out at least once themselves trying to treat the problem. Uh, And people are a little bit more inclined now to talk about it and come forward. So we're getting good uptake now. But it was slow getting going because the fear of the department, the fear of those restrictions, the fear of the notification really was top of the list when when people phoned up and asked about the scheme and then went maybe not so there's a lesson there to be learned that notifiable diseases are it's great to have some diseases notifiable because sometimes you do need a stick to deal with some some of the farmers or you need tools to to get control of them but if if that's actually hindering people coming forward and talking about it and getting good advice and getting the disease stamped out before it spreads onto the next farm and the next farm then that's that's suboptimal.
0: Well, it's interesting, Paul, that issue. If you're starting to gain a bit of traction, and like a lot of these things, it'll probably be slow to start until mm-hmm. you get
1: a bit of a build, but
0: there's a bit of an organic spread when you get farmers involved in it that they talk in an area, and hopefully from that, you'll, you'll generate a bit more push or awareness of it on how to go about treating it correctly.
1: Yes, we have had seen a few cases where a farmer has phoned up and said, I'd be, I was involved in this, or my neighbour was involved in this scheme a week while ago, and I think I've got a problem now. So we are starting to see that bit of that, that sort of growth that farmers talking. The other one that's worked very well is where vets start talking. Vets who have a good relationship with their farmers can get the vets, the farmers past the fear of the notifications and get past the fear of the paperwork. And there's one or two vets in in, in particular areas who have provided quite a number of cases to the scheme. And when you start drawing those out on maps, you see why. Uh, see, see, see why scab can be such a problem, and how it can be hard to avoid when you see how many people within a small area that we're aware of have it. Never mind the ones that uh, haven't come forward. That's benefits so all the clients in that
0: practice as well. Mm-hmm. Look, Paul, that scheme kicked off last year. How long do you plan, is
1: it planned to run for? Uh, scheme kicked off in the autumn. It's a one. We got funding for a one-year program. Uh, so that program started in the summer with farmer meetings and then moved on to the on-farm activities in the autumn. And yeah, we're probably three quarters of the way through the funding. Uh, so the money is going to run out with probably about when it should run out at the end of the spring. And then we'll have a little bit of time to write it up. And then we're going to have to start working on what we do next, why we take the information that we gain from this study to, to develop a better control program for scab in the north. And any scab control program in the North also has to deal with the fact that uh, there's, a bo- there's a border, which, never mind some humans not accepting that that border's there, uh, The mites certainly don't accept that the border's there. So to get scab control in the North, we're going to need to raise awareness in the South and and try and get guys in the South uh, to come on board and say, look, this is a disease. We've had enough of it. We're running out of treatment options. Let's do something about it. Now, while we've still got the chance, because say if if dip goes off the market or they get resistance to dip, that only leaves the one solution and that's flock clearances. And that's what they had to do to get rid of it in New Zealand. It's been eradicated from New Zealand for over a hundred years. They didn't have the technology we have now. They didn't have the products that we have now. And when the products they had stopped working, they just shot the flocks and cleared them out. And that's how they got rid of it. And if we lose, we've already lost the injectables effectively. They work on some farms, they don't work on others. If we lose the dip, we'll have no fully effective treatment. And we, we may end up in a situation where on welfare grounds, we have to take flocks out. So we have a chance now before that happens to, to, to deal with it, but it's going to take a lot of effort across the whole island. In GB mainland, there's programs all underway in Scotland, England, and Wales. There's a national objective to have it eradicated by 2031. It's been done before. GB mainland, GB, the, the islands, the Scottish islands, etc. they were clear of SCAB for 20 years. We just never quite got the north and the south over here working together collectively to, to deal with the problem, and then it eventually made its way back across the Irish Sea into GB mainland. So it's been done before. It's been done recently. It's not easy, but it's doable.
0: Paul, it's an, it's an important area to focus on. And look, I think the project is a great way to start delivering that on the ground. And look, you'd be commended for the work in it. Appreciate you coming on me today and talking about it. So on, I hopefully we'll catch up with you again later on in the summer, maybe when you bit more of that detail pulled together, we'll hear how it's gone. That would be super. Paul, good having you on. Thanks again. Thank you very much. We'll leave it there for this week. It's a very important area and it's great to hear that there's work on the way in it. I'd like to thank Paul again for coming on and discussing it with us. Hopefully, we'll get him back later in the summer to hear how that project has progressed. That's it for me for this episode. Again, for updates on our sheep program, keep an eye on our Twitter page at Sheep. I'm Kieran Lynch. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe and get notified of new episodes.